Well, um, hello everyone. I welcome you today to the InfoSec webinar on extended enterprise risk management. I am Tulika. I'm a cybersecurity professional. I have extensively led and implemented uh, the EERM uh, programs and projects. In today's session, I will cover some of the EERM backbone concepts and uh, also will try to see some of the key aspects and trends. Well, uh, I know today's audience is a mix of students, cybersecurity, beginners, professionals. So I have tried to keep my content uh, likewise. Um, so let's get started. Uh, well, I'm sure you all must know about InfoSec Train. They are a security and a technology training and consulting company. There are a few slides here uh, about uh, their uh, achievements uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, their uh, client and uh, the USP. If you wish to know more uh, about them, I would definitely recommend to get in touch with the support team. They're also present on uh, this uh, session. So let's begin uh, with our uh, topic, extended enterprise risk management, right? Well, uh, gone are those days when outsourcing was seen as just a cost arbitrage. We all know that, right? Now, many companies are outsourcing their core functions to derive what? Say efficiencies, growth, it could be for innovation, it could be for competitive advantage and savings. Well, uh, this change in philosophy has given this new essence to the outsourcing world that it is not mere an outsourcing supplier or a vendor. They are the extended partners to your organization, vision and strategy. Hence, we see them as an extended arm, like someone mentioned over there very aptly. Now, my second question is, I have mentioned it is a risk not only to continue, but amplify. Past few years, the use of outsourced vendors has increased exponentially, right? That is one of the key reasons we see. Second could be there are new emergence of types of vendors. Now, there are a lot of cloud service providers, cloud resellers, brokers, right? The third could be the use of outside outsource service providers has become increasingly pervasive, complex, and interconnected in nature. And hence, uh, I strongly believe it is a risk not only to continue, but amplify. Now let's see what is there in our agenda today. Uh, these are a few of the pointers that we I wish to cover today. Let's begin with our first one. Is it a board concern? Yes, uh, it is a board concern for sure. And I have listed as per me, the top three reasons. There are many reasons, but I have just picked up for today's session, the top three. So yes, uh, the regulatory compliance requirements, right? Now, regulators are increasing the pressure on organization to better manage their supply chain risk. Now, there's this uh, Big Four consulting company that surveyed about 170 firms 
And out of them, 87 of the respondents, they mentioned that they have experienced an incident with their third party supplier that disrupted their operations. And 11% have experienced a complete failure of their vendor relationship. Well, uh, regulators therefore are obviously, they want to protect the interest of the stakeholders, their uh, consumers, and they are coming up with various guidelines, mandates, frameworks, standards in order to better manage this risk. Now, uh, I have uh, highlighted a few of these uh, regulatory asks over here. Um, so let's look at the first stack. And let me tell you, this is just the tip of an iceberg. There are a lot of other uh, requirements also, but uh, for today's uh, session, I have picked up a few, the most uh, critical ones, maybe. So AICPA, this is the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. They have developed a trust service criteria for organizations to use this as a framework for demonstrating your CIA, your confidentiality, integrity, and availability of systems and data. EBA, they are the European Banking Authority. Now it is an independent EU that uh, regulates or uh, looks at how effective and consistent uh, way uh, the entire uh, European banking sector operates. Now they have also published guidelines on outsourcing arrangements and they have specific provisions for financial institutions uh, to govern how they govern the outsourcing arrangements. GDPR, again, we all are aware, uh, but in case you are uh, giving your processes or you have sub processes, uh, then you have to ensure that not only you uh, as a primary processor, but your sub processor or third party is also complying to the GDPR requirements. The next set, uh, CMMC, V uh, version uh, 2.0. Now CMMC uh, is a US federal uh, government uh, certification body. Uh, they have come up with this version two, which uh, streamlines your various certification levels. And they have made a major uh, adjustment to the third party assessments uh, responsibilities. Now, FCA, uh, it is the Financial Conduct Authority that regulates financial firms in the United Kingdom. Now, they also have come up with uh, guidance for firms outsourcing to the cloud or um, IT uh, third-party service providers. SGMAS, uh, this is the Mon Monetary Authority of Singapore. They are responsible for formulating uh, Singapore monetary policy for the uh, financial system within Singapore. So if you as an organization uh, are operating out of that uh, region, so not only you, your suppliers also have to comply by it. Now let's look at this, uh, you know, the other set. CCPA, very similar to your GDPR again, the California Consumer Privacy Act. It regulates your business collection and sale of uh, consumer data. 
Now, organizations should therefore uh, ensure that the third parties that are uh, handling uh, these, uh, uh, you know, the consumer information are also abiding by CCPA. FFIEC, uh, this is an important one. It applies to a lot of uh, investment banking industries and a lot of banking industries also. Well, it offers a set of uh, handbooks or booklets to the examiners like me or, you know, uh, any auditor of financial institution IT practices. Now, this IT booklet uh, requires the need to strengthen the resilience of outsourced technology services, and it includes a specific uh, section on the oversight of third-party service providers. Now, PCI cases, again, a very common one. I'm sure you would have heard of it. But if your organization is outsourcing, say, the payment operations, or the management of uh, systems that are involved in transmitting or housing or protecting your cardholders data, then they also have to abide by it. Now, the last set, um, CTSCA, the California Transparency in Supply Chains Act. It is a law enacted in the year 2012 uh, that requires companies to disclose uh, that the goods that they have uh, produced uh, does not involve any forced labor. HIPAA, we have heard of it too uh, quite often. It applies to healthcare providers, your healthcare clearing houses, or whichever company that uh, deals with the PHI information. Now, similar to GDPR, CCPA, if you have any sub-processors who are handling this uh, PHI as your supplier, uh, then they have to abide by this. The last one, OCC, well, uh, this is the Office of Controller of Currency. They are from the Department of Treasury that uh, charters, regulates, and supervises all banks uh, in the US. Now, they have also provided guidance to examiners on what to look on uh, a bank's third-party risk management program, right? So just look at the kind of uh, requirements that are laid out out there for uh, the organizations to safeguard uh, at, uh, through your extended enterprise, right? And hence, I say it as one of the top reasons why it is a board concern. Now let's move on to the second reason why I say it is a board concern. And quite bang on target there, um, it is a vast supply chain universe. And let me explain it to you via this uh, bubble chart that I found on internet. Now say you are from an investment uh, banking uh, or management industry and you are uh, an investment manager. There could be various departments, there could be various functions you would be interacting with, right? Some of them could be your in-house, some of them could be outsourced, right? So let's see what could be the first set. Now, there could be your core service providers, uh, there could be your third parties, right? Uh, your legal team could be in-house, and many companies I have seen they are outsourced. There could be joint ventures technology teams. Again, technology I have seen being outsourced. If you are a core uh, manufacturing company, say, uh, then you have your clients, 
marketing functions are quite often outsourced as well if it is uh, you know uh, one of these uh, areas where you want to seek expertise uh, insurance client support right so this is the first layer where we see it could be your uh, third parties it could be your in house function now can there be more well uh, let's uh, find out uh, first there could be audit firms, data providers, uh, brokers, uh, transfer agents, etc. From a marketing perspective, say you have uh, ONG, uh, Oglevy and Mather, we are all aware of that. In case they have outsourced it to another advertising agency like animation or digital something on, on those lines, then uh, you know they, this could be your fourth party. Client support, again, there could be uh, various support centers, call centers acting as your fourth party. Say you have given uh, uh, you know, 24 by seven as your client support and they in turn have also outsourced it. Now, operation support, again, there is a list of your voting providers, action, uh, corporate action providers, compliance firms, et cetera. Can there be more? Uh, technology, like I was mentioning, uh, it could be your hardware lease and infrastructure and app support team. So the second set that you see uh, could be precisely your fourth parties. So what do you think? Can there be more? Well, uh, let's see. Um, your pricing vendors. Now, there could be certain freelancers where you have, say, outsourced your valuation, right? They, they can be called as valuation specialists. Now your infrastructure and app support um, and uh, you know, it could be uh, licensed and hosted vendor solutions. That could be again your fifth party. So I hope uh, that's the end of it, is it? Well, uh, say your licensed and uh, hosted vendor solution have again a disaster recovery uh, you know, a vendor that is providing the service, then it could be your sixth party as well. So this is the universe that we are talking about. Completely complex, completely pervasive and interconnected, right? So this is the reason why I call it a board zone. Moving on to my last reason, uh, reason three, well, as you see here, it is consistently rated as a top risk. Now, according to a study by Forrester, 60% of security incidents will result directly from issues with respect to third parties. If you look at this chart, it is you know, in top five or say top 10. And if you look at the black uh, chart out there, uh, Interestingly, you'll see the cyber criminals are finding it extremely lucrative to target your organization via your suppliers and just see the kind of data breaches that has happened via suppliers. Well, this is the third reason why I call it, it is a vote concern. Now the situation is not that grim. Uh, I know there are a lot of risks that we talked about, a lot of challenges that we talked about. But uh, there is a practical approach by which we can see how we can manage this supplier risk, right? Well, uh, let's see 
many companies are now moving towards an end-to-end -end framework, right? How you uh, have a controlled and efficient process to effectively manage your business and your regulatory requirements. Now, this has not to be, this is not to be seen in silo. Vendor comes into your uh, premises, you sign an agreement, they do an engagement, they are gone, then done and dusted. No, it doesn't work like that. Every vendor has a proper vendor life cycle. And if you want to effectively manage the risk, you have to look at the risk from an end-to-end -end, uh, life cycle perspective. Well, there are five stages. So let me quickly take you through these five stages. This is a overview. Um, I have a deep dive slides on each of the steps because it is very critical and it is a core component of your overall framework. Now, strategy and planning, here you develop your business objectives, uh, you define the risk threshold, the sourcing strategy, and you also consider the cost and benefits. Your second stage, evaluating and selecting, well, you identify and assess the risk, you perform the due diligence. Contracting, uh, in case there are any residual risk, uh, if you have to define any compliance and performance requirements, you have to mention the contracting and onboarding stage. The fourth one, uh, managing and monitoring, well, uh, uh, performing uh, your risk management and ongoing monitoring of suppliers happens in the stage. Your final stage is uh, terminating and offboarding. Determine uh, the need to terminate the third party and how do you manage the entire offboarding process happens at the stage, right? So this is the overall uh, life cycle. Uh, let's talk about each of these uh, stages in detail. Like you see uh, the first slide on the uh, strategy and planning, what are the imperatives of the stage? What all actions can you do here, right? A few of the templates, uh, I just uh, uh, you know, put it here for your uh, benefit, but typically you set a clear plan of uh, action the goal that is aligning to your business objective. Second, you define the operating model, right? What is going to be your sourcing strategy? Now, say you are a part of a global organization, right? There could be thousands of uh, vendors or suppliers you could be catering to. Now, you can't have the set, uh, same set of controls or strategy for each of these categories. Some of them could be strategic in nature, tactical, operational, or you can rank them as high, medium, and low, right? Basis the vendor attributes or profiling that you have done. Well, basis that, you can define your uh, procurement process for each. Then you can have your vendor management policies, the code of conduct, and certain binding contracts. Now, you also create a lot of templates at this stage. Your templates could be your typical RFPs, your SLA agreements, your vendor uh, inventory data templates, etc. And last but not least, you define the roles and responsibilities also at this stage. Now, why roles and responsibilities are required? 
because if you look at a complete vendor life cycle, there are a lot of teams that get involved, right? It's just not the security team or the cyber security team. Well, you may have procurement, vendor management team, legal team, compliance team. There could be so many teams, right? And who is handling what is uh, should uh, be defined uh, at a strategy and a planning level. Now, moving on to the next, uh, profiling and selecting. Well, uh, you select the vendor data attributes. Uh, uh, you have the attributes, say, uh, your financial uh, spend on the vendors, what type of data they handle, what type of access they have, um, and what location they operate out of. And each of these parameters could have weightages. Uh, now, basis this, you come up with a scoring, and then you decide which is the vendor that I need to go for, right? Your RFP, typically in your RFP process, when you float an RFP, you can have a lot of vendors responding to you, say 100 vendors. Now you can't give the contract to 100. You need to have a selection process, a selection criteria, and this could also be one of that where you kind of assess them, evaluate them, etc. This is the risk prioritization model. Uh, you make your uh, selection. Now coming to the third stage, which is your uh, contracting and onboarding. Well. Uh, very important stage once the residual risks have been identified because not all the risk can be uh, mitigated at your uh, uh, profiling and selecting stage. There still could be major risk, but these can be handled via your contracts. Now, what do you kind of incorporate in the stages? Uh, you define and agree on the service level agreements, your matrices, what is going to be your uh, breach notification process, uh, your business continuity requirements. Uh, if there is any dispute, how do you you know, uh, come to an agreement or in consensus is uh, you know, all agreed through this uh, phase. A very important one, and I have faced this, uh, right to audit clause. A very important clause that you should be considering at this stage. And trust me, there are suppliers who can say and who can disagree if this uh, clause is not present in your contract. And if it is a cloud service provider, this stage becomes all the more critical for you to uh, you know, heavily uh, focused on, right? Now, let us see uh, in terms of approvals, uh, what kind of approvals we require here. It's just not one team or one person approval. They are always in multiple approvals necessary at this stage. So it could be a project for sponsor, it could be SME approval, then a risk management professional can uh, give that risk assessments have been uh, uh, completed. Legal team can provide their approval that the process uh, contract adequately uh, you know, caters to all the uh, protection that are necessary. And then there could be your final leadership approval. Then once the contract is signed, it is very important to retain this copy in a vendor database. Now, many of the cases uh, it is seen in my experience that the contracts have gone missing uh, because uh, the physical way of filing it or uh, you know, if you do not maintain your vendor management or uh, database in a proper way. The other miss that I have seen here uh, is uh, 
the contract date has passed and you are still sitting on an old contract. So these are few of the very critical checks that uh, a vendor management team or a procurement or a contract management team has to look out for. And it is just not the contract. If you see each of the significant steps that I mentioned has to be cataloged in some way. Moving on to the next stage, you're managing and monitoring. This is uh, one of the longest stage. Why? Because the vendor is in uh, the stage for the maximum amount of time, right? So in this stage, we conduct periodic assessment and management of say risk and the, their performance. Now the risk review domains are selected basis the risk category of the vendors. Now, like I mentioned, it could be strategic, high, tactical, medium, operational, low. Now, you can't have same set of controls for all of these vendors, right? Uh, it'll be a waste of uh, money, efforts, etc. So, you might have to look at how you customize your review domains for each of these category of suppliers. For, say, um, a strategic high, you may have 100 questions medium or tactical 50 and low and uh, you know uh, operational you can have 30. Similarly in the type of assessment also so if it is high you go for a, uh, an on-site review if it is medium then probably you may go for a remote review and if it is low you may go with uh, a self-assessment right. Typically, I have conducted uh, six steps. You just don't go and conduct the audit, right? There has to be certain protocol. And these are the six steps I have followed in most of my engagements. Now, pre-engagement meeting, where you give a brief overview of the review and its objective. The planning stage is where you conduct preparatory work for your review. You identify locations, stakeholders. Then you conduct a kickoff meeting where you define the scope, you inform them the scope, the timelines, and any support that may be required. Now assessment, um, assessment you do conduct a detailed review and uh, validation of the supplier controls. Uh, next is reporting, uh, you discuss and agree on the observation report. There could be certain chances where the auditee may not agree on the observation report. So what do you do? Well, uh, you obviously go and uh, validate those uh, evidences again. You look at those evidences and re-verify and talk to the auditee. There's a, these are re-verified evidences. These are obvious gaps. And if they still don't agree, then uh, you might have to ask them to sign off on the risk acceptance report. And trust me, no one does that. So they have to agree, right? You identify the action owners, you discuss and uh, agree on the remediation plan and timeline. The last one, remediation tracking, very important one. And one of the most obvious misses that I have seen while implementing this framework. Well, they do identify the risk at the profiling and the selecting stage. And they, when they do uh, assessment at the stage also, these gaps often go in the back burner, right? Once the assessment is done, they close, but nobody follows what are the gaps of where they closed. Very important to have these gaps closed and uh, with the appropriate action owners. Now, there could be long-term, short-term, medium-term, or immediate ones that needs to be closed. Um, 
And these remediation plans can go in days and also months. Why months? So for example, if any of these remediation plan involves uh, uh, you know, your CapEx investment, right? So for example, say uh, you have a legacy system and uh, there are no patches available for that. It is highly vulnerable system and uh, your uh, you know, companies, say uh, employees or consumer personal data is there on that system, you can um, look for a remediation that might need to replace the entire legacy system, right? So it involves a lot of effort. It involves a lot of uh, app, CapEx, OPEX uh, involvement. So this might need a longer remediation plan. Now, the next one, uh, stage is your terminating and offboarding. Again, uh, uh, this is, uh, you know, a kind of uh, phase often neglected by the companies. They don't give enough attention to this because most of the attention goes to the uh, first four stages that I walk you through. Well, uh, in offboarding, it is very important uh, that your vendor uh, has been, uh, you know, removed from all necessary accesses, could be your physical, your uh, application and uh, your IT systems, uh, systems etc. Also, make sure that your supplier destroys all your data in its possession. Very, very important point. And it is all the more important when you are dealing with a cloud service provider, right? You have to prepare a thorough checklist as to how you are going to deal with uh, the terminating or offboarding process. Now, this was the end-to-end -end life cycle of a supplier or your extended enterprise, uh, right? Now, and it is a core component of your framework. I'll take you to the framework and I'll show you where it lies. Now, in terms of your risk review domains, uh, this is again a very key component uh, of your typical ERM framework. Well, uh, many companies, uh, as per their risk appetite, their applicability, the sector that they operate, uh, they can customize this risk review areas. But this is one of the most uh, common one, which I have used to uh, assess my uh, suppliers, right? Now, first coming to your financial solvency. Well, here we check for the financial stability. There are various subscription-based or paid uh, financial health data that are available for companies in order to gauge your uh, supplier uh, health status. And one of such databases is your Dun & Bradstreet, so your bitside reports uh, that are typically used by your procurement, right? Uh, legal. Well, uh, here, uh, like I mentioned, the residual risks are analyzed and addressed via contract. Your legal teams are actively involved in chalking out your terms and conditions, your licensing requirements, and in case there are any region-specific clauses, then they are all taken uh, and should be you know, uh, addressed uh, in this space. All these checks have to be done in the legal domain or uh, risk review domain. Now, reputation, like we all know, it is a very critical component. It can build your business, it can tarnish your business, 
And similar to KYC, we also have KYBP, which is your Know Your Business Partner. Now, this is a compulsory document that uh, the suppliers have to submit or you have to in-house, uh, in you also fill in those details and you have to keep it in your vendor database. Now, apart from this, you have to look at the location of the service uh, delivery. If it is, uh, you know, uh, if there are any specific expectations. Now, if your owners and partners are politically exposed, uh, if your vendor interacts with uh, government officials, are there any negative news on the supplier are all checked as part of this review domain. And one trend that we are seeing uh, being uh, gaining momentum is your dark web monitoring. Now, this is also one of the areas where highly risk-averse companies are also looking at in order to uh, monitor their uh, status on the suppliers. The next one is your cyber. Well, uh, in this domain, uh, this domain can be carried out at multiple stages during a profiling, selecting, or during your uh, monitoring phase also, like we saw. Uh, typically, a SOC report is uh, sought, uh, SOC 2 type 2 preferably. But uh, in case it is uh, a highly risk-averse company, you can go for your own independent assessment method. But make sure that right to audit clause is mentioned in your contract. Now, operations. Now, here, all performance-related checks are conducted. You typically have your QBR, HBR, uh, your quarterly business review or your half-yearly business review where you, uh, you know, look at the performances, your adherence to SLAs or OLS, uh, your stakeholder or customer score, your flexibility index or your partnership index, all of these checks are done at this stage. Now, the last one on the compliance, again, you can conduct a lot of contractual basis checks here, uh, whether the licenses, licenses, uh, usage compliance, your carbon footprint uh, compliance, regional compliance, or any uh, specific uh, compliance like your GDPR compliance can be checked at the stage, right? Now, like I mentioned, we saw the vendor life cycle. We also saw the risk review domains. These are all critical components of your framework. Now, I have also picked up a few frameworks for you just to give you an understanding as to how these overall frameworks look like. Now, what is a framework? Framework is something that is implementable, repeatable, and can be uh, you know, implemented across the organization. So here's uh, one of the most uh, uh, common one, uh, the NIST Cybersecurity Supply Chain Management Framework. Uh, very uh, close to your risk management process, well, you have frame where you define the constraints, your risk appetite, assumptions, tolerance, et cetera. And then you do your usual assessment. You have your threat, uh, you know, vulnerability assessment, et cetera. And how do you respond to it, right? Whether how you accept, avoid, mitigate. And uh, on the ongoing monitoring basis. Now, interestingly, all these steps are uh, iterative in nature and not... Uh, necessary uh, sequential in nature, right? And different individuals may be uh, required to perform the steps at the same time. Now, next uh, very interesting framework I have found on in internet, uh, the Deloitte EERM framework. 
well like you see the business objectives it could be many it could be growth innovation or my business objective is to have a brilliant client experience or say cost reduction or time uh, improve time to market right there could be multiple reasons uh, for me to have this and then you see the risk domains that we are talking about we covered most of them but there could be geopolitical risk your credit risk or could be your strategic risk as well now what kind of geopolitical it could be say your suppliers are from eu the wanton area of ukraine then uh, you might look at alternate supplier and trust me if you look at the supplier uh, around the world uh, this uh, Uh, fertilizer companies got badly impacted because of this war they were highly dependent on ukraine as their major supplier so you might want to diverse this kind of risks right um moving on to the operating model like you see here as part of your operating model you define your governance team your oversight team what is the risk culture that you want to inculcate uh, what are the risk uh sorry the policies and standards you might want to define here what are the tools and technologies or the kpis you want to define for the uh extended enterprises as part of this framework and the foundation step if you see here the entire vendor life cycle is mapped here right because it is uh, applicable throughout the vendor life cycle now another one here again from a consulting company the ey tprm framework very similar to what we have seen for the other frameworks also the core policy uh, the core remains your policies and procedure followed by your entire risk profiling methods your operating model the uh, technology and uh, you know your total inventory and reporting team that is again governed by your uh, vendor life cycle process it is more or less similar to what we saw in the earlier slide but here you can see there is issue management and risk treatment also given as a separate uh, life cycle item and the outer uh, layer uh, which governs the entire thing is your oversight and governance principle and then you could have your regulatory compliance bit coming into this uh, picture also now the other framework your cobit framework well cobit uh, control objective for information and related technologies uh, it was created by asaka now this is again an uh, integrated framework which talks about identifying and categorizing your supplier risk identifying and mitigating your supplier risk how do you monitor them and how do you measure the supplier performance so again this is also widely used in many of the organization this is the last one uh, in terms of this is not a framework but this is a standard uh, a dedicated standard on supplier relationship it provides an overview and concepts um, associated with information security in supplier relationship now this document uh, specifies uh, fundamental information um, security requirements for supplier and acquirer relationship now this document again is applicable to all kinds of organization uh, regardless of their size and their uh, nature now i have just one more slide and i'll uh, open the floor for questions uh, but this is an important one this talks about the various trends that we see 
Well, many of these trends uh, are repetitive from the previous year, and I see a tendency to continue in future. Uh, but then, uh, you know, probably this is a section we'll have to watch out for, uh, especially for the artificial intelligence uh, area. But it is not featuring in today's slide, but we'll cover it in uh, some form. So if you look at the in increased focus on cybersecurity, we looked at the various risk review domains. Out of that, you saw cybersecurity, right? This is going to be one of the key focus for this year. And as per the Identity Theft Research Center, data breaches have increased by 17%. And with cyber attacks targeting vendors and suppliers, third-party risk incidents will have to increase, right? The loss ratio in this uh, cyber domain, again, has seen a significant increase because of the ransomware attacks, right? So the overall cyber risk exposure of a third party uh, can be managed through various platforms. You can get feeds like your BitSight, security scorecard, et cetera. They provide the cyber security ratings. Now, the advantage of this is you can get real-time information about your cybersecurity score of your respective suppliers. Fine. So moving on to the next key review domain, which is gaining a lot of momentum, and it is going to be major focus area for the organizations to manage its uh, extended suppliers. Now, what do we do in uh, ESG? Now, across the globe, we are now seeing uh, more and more focus how to handle this risk, right? Not only within the organization, but also risk associated with your third parties or extended enterprises. Now, uh, EU, uh, your European Union, they announced a mandatory legislation on ESG due diligence. This was published in the year 2021 to encourage companies to take action to ensure human rights and the environmental impact uh, is adequately gauged in their supply chain. And what kind of components can you check here? Your carbon footprint, your modern slavery, human trafficking, etc., are various things that are being considered here. Now, a couple of days back, um, I received a report from ICICI Bank, uh, where they have a specific report that they have released on ESG to their stakeholders, to their customers. So this is going to pick up uh, or have a major focus this year. Now, let's look at the other one, the supplier risk uh, universe, right? How do we identify who are our suppliers, whether it is fourth party or nth party, like we saw at the beginning of our presentation? How do we identify them? How do we manage them? Uh, and how do we manage this entire ecosystem is going to have a lot of importance uh, this year. Now, the next one, it was there uh, earlier also. It's still there this year. How do we have a proper integrated uh, supplier chain uh, management system? A well-connected GRC probably that can handle end-to-end -end of your uh, supplier life cycle. Then uh, there could be 
regulatory requirements how do we kind of integrate the regulatory related fields now i have worked with organization where uh, thomson reuters uh, your regulatory monitoring tool uh, could be rcm etc some in house monitoring tool or some tools that are also created by certain uh, consulting companies where they look at all the regulatory mandates that are being uh, released your any changes in the existing guideline so all these comes as a feed as an alert to you that this has gone under change or this is something new that has come up or this has retired and then there are regional compliance teams within each of the organization where they look at the applicability whether it is applicable to us or not and accordingly they adopt it similarly for your cyber and reputational risk also there could be various external systems like do jones i mentioned about dnb and bitside and security scorecards also all of these uh, systems can be well integrated through apis probably and you can have this real time information the need of the hour is how real and uh, you know point in time information you can get about your sources or your suppliers now the last one here is automation uh, well there's a lot of focus on how we can automate most of this because the more you automate the lesser chance of error or uh, you know the criminal activities that we see so there are a lot of efforts that are being put how we automate few of these areas such as your uh, screening your onboarding um, so these are few of the use cases that i have seen gaining a lot of momentum apart from this uh, five that you see uh, ai is also very uh, you know picking up and they are gaining momentum i uh, there could be a lot of use cases but uh, they are still under you know the incubation stage i would say but we are looking at how do we use ai to our advantage to recognize all the supplier uh, related risks right